Kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted, his majesty is above earth and heaven. That's from uh, Psalm 148. I've been like loving the Psalms, especially those ones at the end, which are all about praising the Lord. Every circumstance. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. That's from Revelation 4.11. That's when the, when, the, when the living creatures are bowing down. Worthy are you, Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. I haven't preached for a long time, and I, man, I, got, I just am burning in my belly, eh? Worthy you, Lord. Like, um, okay, I'm just going to give you the punchline right now. What, I, what, I'm, what the message that I want, want to preach today, the, what I want you to pick up on, is why we do what we do. Why, why, what's our ultimate purpose for gathering as a church? What's our ultimate purpose as followers of Jesus? Uh, spoiler alert, it's not for good coffee. Uh, it's not even to feel good. It's not even to be made whole. It's to bring him glory. It's to bring him glory. Like uh, the, the first command, love the Lord your God. It's to bring him glory. Worthy are you, God. Worthy are you, Lord. That's, the, that's cutting to the chase. You can um, go back to whatever you're doing now. But... Um, <laughs> We've been, uh, since way back, uh, way back at the beginning of June, man, it feels like another lifetime, doesn't it? Um, the first weekend of winter, actually, we've been tracking with the Israelites on their uh, exodus, their liberation from slavery in Egypt, into freedom and God in the wilderness. And uh, like, it's taking us a long time, and it's probably going to take another 40 years, um, <laughs> where I'll be, I don't know how old. Uh, raptured by that point, I want to begin by, um, and I want to begin like by framing the story slightly different because I reckon that like there's there's this uh, there's this there's this element, this picture, or this um, visualization of this journey that really I think speaks to this pr- our present moment in history, our present mo- our present cultural moment. The Israelites were an enslaved people. They'd been in Egypt four hundred long years. They were established there. Generations of people learning to understand the systems and the ways of doing things in Egypt. They had houses. They had a region to call home. Even though they were slaves, I imagine there was like this sense of security and, and stability in the day-to-day life of the Israelites. Uh, they were probably institutionalized. And that all changed really, really quickly. When God defeated the demonic powers behind the human powers of Egypt and brought salvation to the Israelites. In a really, in a really short space of time, I mean literally like one day to the next, they go from being slaves to being free. Being, being contained, from being contained within a tight area, a tight area of land, into um, uh, being a vast area, like the wilderness. Uh, Going from being uh, told what they could do, I imagine that being slaves, they were told what they could do when um, given orders all of the time, to, to actually having the ability to, to uh, uh, choose themselves, to be free what they think, what they, what they choose to do, who they would listen to. One moment, an Egyptian taskmaster, I love the show Taskmaster, but I think that... Um, <laughs> 
Uh, probably still going to watch it in disobedience. Anyway, uh, one moment, an Egyptian taskmaster, not Greg Davis, over, uh, over them, demanding obedience, uh, or they'd be beaten. The next moment, it's the Lord of the universe over them, giving them the option, will you obey me or will you not? Uh, inviting them into a partnership and a, and a covenant with him. Yahweh. Yahweh. And you think of it, talk about unsettling, eh? Talk about unsettling. The Israelites had been unsettled, desettled from Egypt, this land that they'd settled in um, 400 years ago, living in houses. And I know they've got houses because they've got doorposts. And I know they've got doorposts because they had to paint the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and on the lintels. They had houses they could live in, and within 24 hours, they had gone from being like these people dwelling in the land of Egypt to being uh, nomads, wanderers, living in tents. Did they even know how to put up a tent? They probably didn't have those pop-up tents that we've got today. A bit more difficult when you've got a skin of a cow or whatever it was. And this is what happens when God uh, took the Israelites out of Egypt. And it's, and it's sometimes quite easy to kind of romanticize and go, oh, they were slaves and now they're free. Yes, I was slave and now I'm free. But like, but you've got to consider like how difficult that really is, going from where you're told exactly what you could do, uh, having this place to live, to actually being, being freedom, being wanderers in the desert. The opposite of settle is to take, to stand up. So you're settling in your chairs right now. Okay, you settled in your chairs or you settle in bed. So standing up. Taken off like a rocket or moving away from. And this is what happened when God led the Israelites. I mean, I had to Google what the opposite of settle was. So, This is what happened when God led the Israelites out of Egypt. But imagine eh, being in their shoes, like going, oh, like, um, I'm leaving behind my house. I'm leaving behind my, my comfy bed. Everything that I knew of life, I'm leaving that behind now. Like unsettled. And God was teaching them. Like we sometimes like we, 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 we run the risk often of reading the Bible quite arrogantly and thinking, oh, we know better than them. If I was in their shoes, I would nail it. I would nail it. I probably wouldn't nail it. I'd probably be complaining to Moses. God was teaching them to trust him and to abide in him, to make their home in him, to find their security, their stability, their safety, their sanctuary in him. And again, like it sounds wonderful. Oh, God, you're my sanctuary, my safety, my, uh, my, my security. It all sounds wonderful until like the mat is pulled out under your, under your, you know, under your feet or uh, whatever your situation is until it's actually shaken up and you're, and, you're, and you're forced into this situation where, oh, do I trust, do I trust God in this? Unless we're firmly anchored in God and his words, then this is going to hurt. <laughs> we're literally going to feel unsettled because this is what God is doing. He's unsettling us, setting us free from the world to be free in him. Severing ungodly attachments, breaking demonic chains, lifting the heavy burden off our backs, breaking the heavy yoke. I thought that was quite a good line. I thought, yeah. I'll say it again, severing ungodly attachments, breaking demonic chains, lifting the heavy burden off our backs, breaking the heavy yoke. Yes. And we want that. We want that. <laughs> it's quite Pentecostal, isn't it? <laughs> that's something else that's changed. Um, no, no. 
Bless, bless the Pentecostals. And what's happening in our world at the moment? It's unsettling. It's not just us, us Christians. It's not just us in the church. It's unsettling for everybody. Like, I mean, COVID is one, just one example, but you can look at all the examples of like, cultural changes and um, moves of the government to try to um, introduce the immorality, whatever. Different topic, but COVID, like uh, lockdown. Okay, one moment, Tuesday a few months ago, you would have been at work or at school. You get home, you check the news. Uh, there's been one case in Auckland, now lockdown. You can't go to school, you can't go to work tomorrow. It's unsettling. Even though it's quite nice being at home for some of us. <laughs> Holiday plans. Yeah. Unsettled from that. Plan, like plans in general. <laughs> What's going to happen next week? Yeah. Normal routines of life. Even gathering as churches. Man, like when I started this job a few years ago, they, they didn't. Dad, man, why didn't you give me the manual to tell me what to do in a pandemic? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the sucker for the job. <laughs> it's so unsettling. Oh my goodness, I'm so glad to have, have you, my brothers and sisters, walking through this together, eh? We do it together. I haven't caught the train for a while. Like the, tra- the rules on the trains are like, man, what can you do? Like, the, I think the rule is that you're not allowed to stand on the train. So you're not allowed on the train unless you can find a seat. But the problem is, you've got to get on the train to see if you can find a seat. And by the time you've discovered that you can't find a seat, the train's already halfway to Wellington. <laughs> so I sat next to a guy, and I don't think he wanted me to sit next to him. I, I should have just said, sorry, um, I should have said something to him, but I didn't. Instead, I looked over his shoulder, and I noticed him putting a post, a post I think, on Facebook about me sitting next to him. <laughs> I haven't, haven't caught the train since. No, but my point is... <laughs> You're allowed to stand now? Oh, I feel, I'm allowed to stand. So anyway, my point is like, it's just unsettling. Like, we, I, we like to know, we like to have routines. We, I mean, I, I joke about it, but we like to sit in the same place every Sunday. <laughs> we do, we do. <laughs> the mental corner, we do, we love it. And so when you take away that, it's like, oh no, what's going on, Lord? They changed the parking out in the street. Where are you going to park? <laughs> oh, my goodness. We're not going to complain. God says, don't complain. Another command, don't complain. <laughs> so we're unsettled. Okay, we're unsettled. Especially in Wellington. Man, of all people, we should know about that. We, we built our city on a fault line. And then, the, and then so Jesus says, build your house. Oh, I'm going to come to it. I'll come back to my notes in a second. Build your house on, on my words. Build, build your life on my words and you won't be shaken. And what he means by that is, uh, is to listen to his words and, act, and actually obey them, to actually do what, he, do what he says. It's one thing to read his words and not do what he says. That's not building a foundation. That's entertainment. That's, that's consuming the Bible rather than um, you know, taking it on, on board. He says, build, build my life on your words. Actually do what I say and you won't be shaken. And this is uh, something I think the Lord is doing. I wrote about that in the, in the word for the week this week. 
There are four stories of the Israelites that happened after they crossed the Red Sea. Uh, God had eradicated Pharaoh and the Egyptian armies, drowning them in the sea. And the Israelites crossed over without getting their feet wet. But there's these uh, few events that happen in between the sea and their arrival at the mountain, Mount Sinai. That they sort of like dis, uh, sort of like illustrate for us um, the unsettling, the sort of the unsettled feeling, the, the sort of like the, an- the anxiousness of the Israelites. I mean, a million of them unsettled, or more, maybe, or less, maybe. There's four stories. I'm going to try to cover two of them. Um, they take place Exodus chapters 15, 16, and 17. So um, please read them for yourselves. You should be reading the Bible for yourself uh, and, and, um, and seeing what God speaks to you through those stories. Two of the stories involve water. One of them involves food. And uh, one of them involves uh, a confrontation with, a, with an enemy. I think these are pretty fundam- fundamental for us. What are we going to drink? What are we going to eat? And what about the people who don't like me? And they all involve God demonstrating that he is trustworthy, he is faithful, and he is with the Israelites. Uh, I I read the ESV, um, usually. And the headlines, the subtitles uh, for these stories are Bitter Water Made Sweet, Uh, Bread from Heaven, Water from the Rock, and Israel Israel, Israel Defeats Amalek. And uh, I'm going to cover two of them. First story. Unsettled Israel. I mean, we could just like put our own names in here. Unsettled James. Been in the wilderness three days without water. Googled it, got told that you can go for about um, maybe about two or three months without food, uh, but only about three days without water. So they've gone three days without water. They're thirsty. They're thirsty. They're probably dying of thirst, actually. They uh, like desperately thirsty. They find some water. <laughs> I want, I'm thinking about the person who actually tasted it. You know, taste that water there, Ben. Taste that water. Oh yuck! It's disgusting. It makes me sick. They taste it. They realise it's bitter. Their hopes are dashed. Right? I mean, you've seen enough movies or cartoons like when the person's in the desert and they see the the glimmering oasis with water and they dive into it and it turns out it's just a mirage you know tasting the the, uh, the sand and so their hopes are dashed so they grumble against Moses who cries out to the Lord and then the Lord shows Moses a log to, to throw in the water he throws the log in the water Ben comes along and he tastes it again he goes oh that bit of water now tastes like chocolate milk it's sweet the water is sweet it probably just means that uh, you know it's palatable it's potable you can drink it and I can relate to the Israelites. Man, I've been living a hard life the last six months. Um, I might have mentioned it to quite a few of you, but um, sleep is, um, man, sleep is a, a beautiful thing. <laughs> and it's amazing the number of times that I've, I've um, had, a, had a, a crisis of faith in the middle of the night. I'm, I'm, I mean, I say it with a smile on my face, but this is, this is what happens. I'll be up in the night and my boy won't be sleeping. I'll be going, God, if you're real, if you're even there, then surely you can get my son to sleep and then I can sleep and all will be right. It's, it sounds so ridiculous by the light of the day, but that's, that's uh, the depth of my faith. Um, and you're probably not going to come back to church next week. <laughs> 
And so if I'd gone like three days without water, man, it probably wouldn't even matter that I'd seen the Lord defeat Egypt and his armies. I'd seen, you know, the plagues and God like, uh, you know, making it dark and all of that kind of stuff. I'd be like, man, I'm thirsty. I'm dying of thirst. And God, have you let me out here to kill me? We'll come to that. And so the Lord shows Moses a log. I mean, just all I'm saying there is I can relate to them. I don't want to, I don't want to judge the Israelites. Like, man, um, I don't, probably would have stayed in Egypt, to be honest. Anyways, no, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. Yeah, yeah they had water. They had water. And houses, man. Anyway, so Moses throws a log in the water. And when he does, the water becomes sweet. And I think, like, just to, you know, I think this really speaks of, of Jesus, eh? Jesus died on the cross, an instrument meant to meant to kill him to bring death he died on that piece of wood and he takes what was bitter this bitter moment he makes it sweet it's a freebie exodus fifteen twenty five. hey i've got a powerpoint oh, i thought i did can you stick that one up there maybe the, the first slide that says exodus 15 yes <laughs> magic exodus fifteen twenty five. okay so the water is sweet they can drink it It says, there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord your healer. Pretty amazing. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. So probably a... um, a spring of water for each tribe, 12 tribes, 12 springs of water, 70 palm trees. I think that speaks of the 70 elders. Uh, but again, like they come to this, this resting place. God goes, okay, and this is often what happens. Sort of like there's the, the test or the challenge. Uh, they kind of like led through that, and then they come to this, this place of, of rest in him. They could have just trusted him all along. But notice this command from the Lord. He demonstrates they can trust him. Look, I can take this, border, this bit of water. I can put a log in it. Don't tell them the joke about the kitten's log, James. They can ask me later. They put a uh, log in it, and uh, and it becomes sweet. <laughs> I'm tired. It's just going to come out. <laughs> Filters are gone. <laughs> and, you, and in this, you see a command from the Lord. After demonstrating they can trust Him, He says, "Listen to what I say and do what is right. Just listen to what I say and do what is right." Isn't this like through the, all of the scriptures, eh? Listen to what I say and do what is right. Listen to what I say, do what is right. If you do what I say, if you listen to what I say and do what I say, then, you, then you'll be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. All right, next story. Exodus chapter 16. Okay, so remember, uh, you can't go without water for more than a few days, otherwise you'll die. You can't go without food for one or two months, otherwise you're going to die. So what happens? <laughs> they go for one or two months without food. And they're getting hungry, real hungry. So again, this is uh, Exodus chapter, chapter 16 now. They're hungry. In fact, they're starving. And so they come to Moses and they go, Moses, Moses, man. Why don't you just leave, leave us to die in Egypt? No, what they say is, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, where we sat by the meat pots and ate bread like casseroles, hey, and fresh bread. We had all of this yummy food and bread and water. And you've just brought us out in the wilderness. You took us through all of the plagues and uh, everything like that. 
just to kill us. <laughs> We're like this big sacrifice. You're crazy, crazy Moses. You've brought us out in this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Again, like I'm in the middle of the night. I'm going, Lord, <laughs> if you're real, <laughs> then help me sleep. I mean, these guys, they haven't had... Uh, anything to eat for a long time. They're desperately hungry. And so they be- begin to believe, or at least they're saying it. Who knows what they believe? It sounds like they're beginning to believe that the purpose of their liberation was just to kill them, just for them to die. And there's these two underlying questions, I reckon, in this passage. One, can they trust God? That, I think that's the most obvious one. Can they trust God? And the second underlying, underlying question is, why has he chosen them and led them into the wilderness? Can they trust him, and does he have a good purpose for them? Does he have a purpose at all in choosing them, or has he just saved them just to kill them? That's what, they, that's what they're kind of saying. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them. Again, another test. Whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. So the Lord says, he's gonna, I'm going to give you food. going to give you food. Don't worry about those meat pots. <laughs> Love to know what that really was, eh? Don't worry about your meat pots. Uh, I'm going to give you food. Bread from heaven. I'm going to give you heaven's food. Heavenly banquet. I'm going to feed you from my pantry. He's going to to prove once again that he is trustworthy, worthy of their trust, faithful to provide for them. But then there's this twist, the test. There's a test in this. We hear the word test, and I mean, my, uh, my, my boss at my other job was telling me about how his son had a driving test this week, and so the first thing I've been thinking about, test, oh, like a driving test, like get a bit stressed out about it, am I going to pass the test? But this test, this is the best kind of test. The test is, are you going to take a day off? Are you going to have a holiday? <laughs> Seriously. I'm going to give you twice as much on the sixth day so that on the seventh day you can have a rest so that you can have a holiday. Perhaps because they were slaves, they were institutionalized people, they thought that they had to, they had to do work every day to, in order to be fed. Perhaps they thought, if I don't get my food, if I don't get enough food and store it away, then I'm going to be hungry tomorrow. I mean, you know, they're coming off a long, a long period without food. But he's going, no, here's the test, giving you a holiday. It is awesome, eh? It is awesome. And I think actually the God, God gives us the same, the same test today. Are we going to take a day off? Are we going to take a day without work? Or do we need, do we, is he a provider or is he not? Is he going to provide for us or not? I mean, my testimony is that um, I decided quite early on um, that uh, when I was at university that I wasn't going to study on Sundays. And, um, and my thinking was pretty basic. It's like, well, I need the Lord to pass these courses anyway. <laughs> I'm not as smart as they think I am. <laughs> I know my limits. I know I forget what uh, I know. I forget things from last week, so I need the Lord anyway. So I need to have a day off, and so and so I did that. I didn't study, and I made sure that Sundays was a day that I could just not study. And um, lo and behold, um, 
I passed university. The Lord provides, right? Will they have six days off? Will they work six days? <laughs> Man, they wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just changing the gospel. Right? It's a Sabbath rest. And it's one of the, it's one of the things, like, if, you haven't, if you haven't thought about it, then... Um, and, uh, man, consider that. Consider that for yourself. If you'll diligently listen to the voice of the Lord and do what is right in his eyes, then he's going to provide for them. Listening, um, listening to the voice of the Lord and doing what is right meant taking a day off from collecting the food that the Lord provided. So in the evening, they had quails. Dad, Taylor, you, how's your quail? It's going to right? Yeah, how big? Perfect. So you need a lot of quail. So anyway, uh, so in the evening, quail uh, from heaven covered the whole camp. And, and so they were able to eat those. They had quail meat for dinner. And in the morning, um, again, like my mind keeps on going on tangents. I started thinking about KFC and it made me hungry. Um, in the <laughs> you want to try it, Taylor? Yeah, deep fry that quail. <laughs> And in the morning, in the morning it says, on the face of the wilderness, a fine flake-like thing. Oh, who likes flakes? The chocolate, oh, I like it. Um, a flake-like thing, fine as frost, frost on the ground. And they called it manna, or mana, manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Oh, man. Well, if you don't like coriander or honey, then... Uh, no, this is, this is from heaven. This is the tasty stuff. This is the good stuff, right? And they ate this manna, this bread from heaven promised by God for the entire 40 days in the wilderness. God, 40 years in the wilderness. God provided the food they needed every single day. God was their provider. And this is one of his names. Who knows the name of God, our provider? Jehovah Jireh. There's a quite a cool song um, that we sang at the uh, Arise Conference when I was there a couple of, uh, couple of months ago. And it was like, Jaira, you are enough. Jaira, you are enough. The Lord will provide. Jesus takes this and he, and he says that he is the bread of life. He is the bread of life. In John 6, he's, he takes this history, this event of God providing, and shows how it points to him. He says, he says to the people, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. It just appeared it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. But my Father gives you the true bread of heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life, gives life to, the word, to the world. Jesus. Jesus is the bread of heaven for us. God demonstrated over and over again, that the people of God can trust him. He is faithful. He is good. And the unsettling from Egypt and slavery, God shows and instructs how to settle in him. And because imagine that. We imagine that as, uh, as being an amazing way to live, where it didn't matter, where it really, seriously didn't unsettle you in your heart. What, what, uh, what happened today? What's going to happen tomorrow? What's happening in the future? That's what it means to be settled in God and God alone. And I've I just been reading the Bible <laughs> for many years. And it's, it's, that's what Jesus promises, eh? Promises, settle in me. So what about those rights? They had this underlying question, this underlying question. One was, can they trust God? He proves over and over and over and over again that they can trust him. And some of them choose to trust him and some of them don't. Same with us. Some of us choose. It's a daily thing, actually. Do you, choose, do you choose to trust me or do you choose not to trust me? 
But what about the other question? Why did he choose them? Why did he choose them? Deuteronomy 7 gives us the answer. Deuteronomy 7, 6 to 9. Man. Oh, thanks, Sean. You're amazing. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Thanks, Caleb, for talking about holiness last week. I wish you hadn't because, man. <laughs> no, oh, no, such a good word. Such a good word last week. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand, remember the mighty hand and outstretched arm, and redeemed you from the house of slavery. From the house of the slavery into the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. From the house, from the land, from the hand (laughs) of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. We We are part of those generations. I don't know what number we are. They were down the list somewhere. You are a people holy to the Lord your God. Capital Vineyard Church. Actually, I want to talk about for the church and the, uh, the whole world. Capital C Church. You are a people holy to the Lord your God to be his treasured possession. A people set apart to be consecrated, dedicated to God. Yeah, the New Testament way of saying this is, uh, comes from Romans 12. To be living sacrifices. For God, holy and acceptable to him. To be holy and to live holy lives daily, as Caleb talked about last week. Making those daily decisions. Lives dedicated to God, submitted to God, listening to and obeying his words. Sunday's not enough. Oh my goodness, no. Sunday's not enough. Listening to, listening to James, not enough. No way. <laughs> the words of Jesus. Building our lives on his words, that's what I've already said. Even though we might be unsettled by, by COVID-19 or by uh, life's curveballs, we remain settled. We are to remain trusting and resting in him. If you're Presbyterian, you might know the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Question number one. Okay, for a chocolate. Does anybody know question number one? Yes. So we're going to be Pentecostal and Presbyterian today. Bring it all in. What is the chief end of man and woman? Our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. (laughs) Our purpose as individuals and as a church, the people of God is just as it was for the people of God in the Old Testament. It's to glorify God. The chief end of Capital Vineyard Church is to make great coffee and to put on an awesome service to make you feel real good. (laughs) If all those things happen, I'm stoked. Of course I'm stoked. But our chief end is to glorify God. If we're not glorifying God, then we're failing before we've even walked in the door. To bring him pleasure in all that we do. And by all, it means all. It doesn't just mean singing song, lovely songs to Jesus. It means how we interact with the person next to us. The person we don't know. The person we don't want to talk to. 
Stick to your notes, James. <laughs> I don't think I need to say it again, but it's not to satisfy your needs. Uh, if, we're, if we're trying to do that, then we're going to fail every time. It's not to, fail, it's not to satisfy my needs. I had to write this because um, there's always the temptation when, you, when you're a leader or when you're in front of people that, um, that our own egos or our own self-esteem gets built up by the, by the people we're speaking to. But no, James, this church is not to satisfy your needs, James. Our chief end is to glorify God, to bring him pleasure in all that we do. Worshipping with all that we have. Uh, preaching the word of God and listening, listening to the word of God, it, this, this is important because it honors God. It's like going, you've spoken to us, Lord, in your scriptures, and you're still speaking to us today. We, we honor you. We, 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 we glorify God uh, through that. What other examples have I got? Uh, praying for others. I know, praying for people can be, can be hard because often we feel like, oh, no, I'm, I'm not good enough to pray for someone else. But this is what the, you know, the Bible teaches us to do. So when you actually step out and you, and, you, and you pray for somebody in church or out of church, you're actually glorifying God. Glorifying God, which is your chief end, and to enjoy him forever. How you treat the people you interact with on, with on Sunday. Um, one of the things that we were talking about a few weeks ago when we sort of had a limit of uh, 50 people was, well, how, what do we do after the service? So what, what do we do with sort of our you know, hanging out time? And because uh, and, we love to hang out. Hanging out is great. Having a cup of coffee is, is really great. But we, again, we sort of were talking about maybe we can encourage, if we don't do that, maybe we can encourage um, sort of the old-fashioned way of hanging out after church, which was to invite people around for lunch and to have coffee with each other. Or go to a cafe like TQ down the road. They're good people. Uh, go hang out there with each other. Man, to think that having coffee with someone else could glorify God. <laughs> Being nice to somebody glorifies God. Being patient with people glorifies God. It's in the simple stuff often, isn't it? Stepping out of your comfort zone. One of the areas of unsettling in this season uh, that I believe the Lord is like highlighting uh, for us is our, is our tendency. I mean, we live in a consumeristic society. We like to consume everything. <laughs> you know, uh, level, level four meant you couldn't do anything, and the first thing you could do on level three was get takeaways. We want to consume our takeaways, please. But the, but the thing is, we have the, also this tendency to want to consume church. And so we go, ah, oh, Sunday morning, it's, uh, it's this moment where I can, I can consume church. I can come away, get my fix, come away feeling good, and, that, and that's it. But this is God, God's addressing this. And he's going, no, you've got to build my life on your words. Build my life on your words. So how do we go from being like consumers to not being consumers? Well, that's all about like sort of our, sort of our interaction with other people, serving one another, you know? I, but I, think, I do think that's something that God, it's not just our church. I think this is like the Western church in general, that God is like going, come on, guys. Come on, guys. There's life when we get away from that kind of thing. We have to take Jesus seriously. I've said that before. Oh, yeah. We have to take Jesus seriously when he says, build my life on his words. And, uh, and what, what did Jesus say? What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> okay, almost finished. Do you know this is like the first, first part of three-part series? <laughs> you come back next week. What's going to happen? I don't know. All right, First Peter 2. First Peter 2 says like this. 
So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Man, he's writing to a church, isn't he, at the moment. You think, oh my goodness. To think that you've got to write that to, to a church. And I go, oh man, but actually. Put away all malice, put away all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Acceptable to God. Hey. What does God find acceptable? For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. I'm pausing because I think these are words that we need to kind of like just take on board. Jesus is the cornerstone, chosen and precious by God. If we believe in him, we will not be put to shame. We will not be put to shame. Your workmates might try to shame you. At my school, uh, Wellington College, like that was being shamed was like <laughs> I get some nods. Like you know, that was that was how like, the main the main way that bullies tried to control others was by shaming them. Shame, shame, shame on you, shame on you for thinking the things you do at your at your work. Shame on you for believing in God, believing in God. Shame on you for praying for somebody. Nah, nah. But God says, you will not be put to shame. You will not be put to shame. Shame off you. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. That's so true, isn't it? A stone of offense. The words of Jesus are offensive to those that do not believe yet. (laughs) They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. But you are a chosen race. I thought I was pucky here. (laughs) I'm a chosen race. You're a chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Kind of sounds like what God said to the Israelites in Deuteronomy, eh? A holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I mean, this is something we do every week. We proclaim his excellencies because he's taken us out of light, out of darkness into light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, beloved, I urge you, I urge you as sojourners, and exiles, again, like this is something, this is, this, is, this is who we are, actually. We have been unsettled. We are sojourners and exile, exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles honorable. You can kind of think about that. Keep your, keep your conduct against um, you know, the, the people that you interact with on the streets, at your job, at school. Keep it honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, 
they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. If you need to um, pay for your parking, go, go ahead and do that. Um, glorify God on the day of visitation. So it's funny, I, like the, I think the little, it's often the little things, the little acts of obedience, the, uh, the, the doing, the living right, living rightly, uh, it, it's, a, it's a revelation of God and, it, and it's a testimony to God. Glorifying God, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. All right. The people of God were unsettled from Egypt. They had to walk out of that land. They had to leave behind everything they built their lives on. They had to leave behind their reliance on everything Egypt had to offer in order to be the people of God living out, uh, living out his purposes for them so that, they, so that they would be his treasured possession, so that they would bring him glory, which in the end kind of just means pointing to him, reflecting to him, trusting him and resting in him. Last uh, Sunday morning we were singing a song and it says something like, I'm changed in your presence. And, and Elena said to me, Dad, Daddy, uh, why do we need to be changed? And so I began, I've been thinking about this. And, the, the, and she goes, um, and so I was like saying, well, you know, we need to become more like Jesus. We need to be changed to become more like Jesus. She goes, Daddy, but, but then what if people get mixed up and they, and they think that I'm Jesus? <laughs> but that is, that is the picture, isn't it? Like becoming like mirrors that reflect Jesus. This is like glorifying him. Trusting him, resting in him. We've been chosen by God, called out of darkness. We are sojourners, exiles. We are a people chosen to glorify God with our lives. And I I just want to finish with these words that I think the Lord is saying to us. He's saying, stand up from where we've settled. Take off the yoke of the world, the heavy burden. Just going to get heavier and heavier. And move away from the kingdoms of this world like the sin and sinful behaviors and move towards the kingdom of God. Right, who wants to stand up? Who wants to stand up from where you've settled? You've been sitting in your chairs for a long, long time. Oh, Lord. Lord, you, you, it's like you're not, you're, not a, you're not a static God. You're not a stationary God. You're, you're a God that's, that's moving. And Lord, you're sort of like drawing us into your river, but that's a, it's a river of movement. It's, it's, not a, it's, it's not a river of like uh, stopping in, in one spot, but a river of movement. And Lord, it's freaky. It's hard, Lord. It's a, it's a battle that we have with our, with our flesh, with our insecurity, with our desire to, um, to, to store things for the future. For our desire to like... Um, <laughs> Lord, I feel like in this moment, I'm, uh, you're convicting us. I mean, you're convicting me, and you're sort of like revealing where, we've, uh, where I've put down uh, anchors and things that are actually not of you. Storing uh, treasures up uh, that, are, that are not heavenly treasures, but earthly treasures that will rust and decay. And Lord Jesus, you've chosen us to be your treasured possession. Trying to bring you glory in everything we do, in every interaction, Lord. Are people uh, walking in freedom? To be a people walking in freedom and bringing freedom, overflowing with freedom for for every person that we interact with, Lord. To to be overflowing with your Spirit for our city, Lord. We're we've been chosen uh, for a purpose to bring healing to the city of Wellington, I believe, to the region of Wellington. Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that uh, during this week, Lord, that you would remind us of your words to us. 
Help us to uh, walk in obedience uh, to you, Lord, to trust in your words.